vile and helpless we. We have to come to that place where we see ourselves that way, right? Guilty, vile, and helpless we, and then spotless Lamb of God was He. The One who would come and die for our sins, paying the penalty for our sins as foreshadowed and pictured in all those Old Covenant sacrifices. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Our life as well as our lips will be more and more this way the better we get all of that. If you see yourself as sinful and needing a Savior and that salvation available and free to you in Christ, you will begin to be in awe of God's grace and more and more live a life of hallelujah to His name. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to continue our series in Romans this morning. We're going to look at verse 18 this morning, but we're, we're transitioned into this section of future glory. We see the creation groaning and, and we ourselves groaning who have the Spirit and everything looking forward to that day when the sons of God will, will be revealed, when the children of God will be revealed, when we will have our new bodies and live in a new heavens and a new earth and be free from misery and the decay and everything that sin has brought on. But I want to read from verses 18 to 25 this morning. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope you were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope we, for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's for God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I pray that you would help each one of us to be able to see past the suffering of this world. To be able to see past the, the agony, the struggle the trouble. Yes, there's some beauty left in your creation, but Lord, so much heartache. Even for your children, since we still live in a fallen world and we have not enjoyed the redemption of our bodies yet, the, the new heavens and the new earth in a new body where no more corruption, decay, misery, or sin. So help us, Lord, to place the struggles of this life in contrast with the glory 
to come so that we have hope in the midst of the struggles of this life and can live seeing the purpose of the struggles in this life so that we rejoice in our trials and trust you to grow us through them and to use us to encourage one another in the midst of them and to reach out with the gospel to those who don't know you. So bless us, Lord. Give us a glimpse of the glory to be revealed to us. May we see it through the cross, knowing that in Christ we have all things that we need. So may we be able to live with hope, even in the midst of struggle and heartbreak and disappointment. May we know where we live, a fallen world. We live under the sun, as Solomon would teach us in Ecclesiastes. But we are to look above the sun to the one who rules and reigns, who is taking his gospel to the ends of this earth and will someday come again and the work will be finished and we will dwell in glory. So we praise you this morning. We ask for your blessing. Bless the preaching of the word. Help me to preach it in the power of the Spirit. Lord, help us to hear it in the power of the Spirit with attentiveness to seek to understand it and live in its light. We thank you for your love and grace and we pray for your help and trust for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Chronic pain. Lost limbs, birth defects, depression, grief, disappointment, betrayal, divorce, anxiety, hurricanes, tornadoes, car accidents, financial loss, wicked rulers, persecution, loss of reputation, aging, death. These things are all part of living life in a fallen world. And they're all endured by Christians as well as non-Christians. So the question would be to us then, how do we live a life that glorifies God in the midst of such darkness and struggle? And that's what Paul's pointing us to as we're transitioning to thinking about future glory for the creation, for us, what God is doing in us and through us and His promises of His love never being taken away from us. And we're going to look at verse 18 quickly this morning and think about suffering and glory. And we're going to see, I hope, although there's no command in this verse, just wanted to, to point us in the right direction this morning with the main point. Focus on the glory to come and use your present suffering for the glory of God. We've seen a great theology of justification by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. He showed us that we all need a Savior and that Savior is Christ and through faith in Him we are made right with God. We are justified, declared righteous before His judgment throne. That Paul has also given us a good theology of sanctification flowing out of our union with Christ. That we have died with Christ and we've been buried and raised with Him. We've been raised to newness of life. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no condemnation for us. And the Spirit works in us to live for Christ, to put to death the deeds of the body. And bears witness to us that we are God's children 
heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So I point you back to those sermons. But now we transition and connect. See, he says four. We're connecting to what is preceded to what's followed. And in verse 18, we'll see that our, our, our focus is on the glory to come. We can use our present suffering for the glory of God. Verse part, point, I'm having trouble talking this morning. Have you all noticed that? I'm, a, I'm doing a good job of stuttering. Point number one, our present sufferings. Look back in verse 18. What, look at what Paul says. For I consider... See, he's filled his mind with, with the, the theology that's in the Word. He knows who his God is. He knows what his God has promised. He is real about where he lives. And Paul is saying this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So let's look first at the suffering of this present time or our present sufferings. We're all suffering with something. If you're in a spot and you're a child of God and you right now are not suffering with anything, praise God for that, enjoy it, glorify Him in the midst of it. But that's not normal life in this world and that's not normal life as a Christian. As Christ has told us in this world, you will have trouble but be of good cheer. I've overcome it for you. So we're going to look first at sufferings in this present time. And the way Paul puts this together, the use of this word for suffering combined with the present tense tells us that we're including more now. We're including persecution. Yes, we've talked about that, suffering with Christ in verse 17. But now we're bringing into the picture the full range of human experience in this fallen world to see that suffering is an ordinary and even an expected condition in this world. Well, we don't look for suffering. We don't, just, just the suffering part, we don't enjoy that unless we're kind of strange. But God's real about where we live with us. That we live in a fallen world that's in rebellion against God and is under His judgment. And we're to shine as lights in the darkness in which we live. One of the ways we do that is glorifying God in our suffering. Suffering is an ordinary and expected condition of earthly life. Suffering is a big deal. Suffering is a serious deal. This, this verse is not minimizing our suffering. Okay, It's not to say, oh look, listen, what you're going through, it's not a big deal. That's not what Paul is saying. Right? Tribulation is hard. Words that are used, this word for suffering, picture things that are difficult, but in comparison. See, we're going to compare it to the glory later to see that that's what makes it pale. Yes, right now in our present condition, in this present world, our suffering is serious, and for some of us more serious than others. And what we need in the midst of our suffering is hope so that we have this enduring hope that we know how to live in the midst of this fallen world. Job says this in 5.7, Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. John 16.33, I quote it all the time, In this world you will have tribulation or trouble, but take heart, I have overcome it for you. So Paul's real. There are sufferings at this present time. There are sufferings that are part of life in this world. 
And since I quoted Job, let's just go ahead and make sure that we understand. Not all of our suffering is due to our own personal sin in our lives. I mean, if you think about Job, what had he done wrong? Nothing. Nothing. All within God's providences and His, His providence and His purpose. So what we don't want to do is be Job's counselors for anybody who's suffering and go and tell them that this thing happened because they were doing something wrong. Job's counselors did great for a while in that they sat and kept their mouth shut and wept with him. But then they started to give counsel. They made assumptions that were not true. Not all of your suffering is a direct result of your own personal sin. You have to embrace that. Sometimes it is. You know, if your mama, if you're, if you're a child and your mother tells you don't jump off the house and you jump off the house and break your leg, that's what we adults call stupid tax. Hopefully it taught you a lesson you won't do that anymore. Right? And even through that, God will teach you some stuff. But not all of our suffering, all of our suffering is because of sin, because of the fall and because sin is in the world and therefore misery accompanies sin and we live here in this fallen world. So it really all of our suffering can be blamed back on the existence of sin. But not all of our suffering is because of personal sin. But sometimes suffering does arise because of our sin and because God is faithful to discipline His children. And if we don't go the way He commands us to go, and He commands us to go the way He commands us to go for our joy, His glory, yes, and our joy. And if we're rebelling against Him, and if we're His children, He will discipline us. If we can run off into sin, if we can enjoy it and be fulfilled in it, if we never experience discipline for it, it's, we're not His child. Because Romans, not Romans, Hebrews 12 tells us that He disciplines every child He receives. But a lot of the suffering that, that we experience in this life is simply because we live here in this fallen world. Maybe the neighbor steals your car. And there's nothing that you've done to do that. Or maybe you have some form of handicap or disease that has come as a result of living here. It has nothing to do with God being out to get you or your own personal sin. But the fact that you live in a fallen world, the fact that we should not be surprised by suffering here, the fact that God is real with us, and Jesus is real with us as a prophet. He said, in this world you will have trouble. Thankfully, we don't all have the same trouble, and we don't all have the same suffering, and we can help one another and minister to one another. But as man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward, Job says. So there is present suffering in this world. There's suffering uh, that is a full range of things that are, that are happening in this world. And it's not always because we've done something wrong, but it is sometimes that, and we just need to be going before the Lord and asking Him to search us. Sometimes our suffering can seem all-encompassing, can it? Sometimes our struggle is all we can see. Sometimes it seems hopeless because our eyes have gotten drawn down away from God and His purposes and His grace and His goodness to us in Christ. And all we can see is this present darkness. And if we stay there, we will lose hope. 
And we don't want to stay there. How can we find hope? Well, two things I want to mention this morning under this first point, present benefits. There, there are present benefits to your suffering in this world. There's present things that are doing good things for you and in you because of your suffering, right? And then we'll look at future glory in a minute. But present, there are present benefits for the believer, for the child of God, for the one trusting in Christ. They are present benefits for your suffering. God's at work. How, how else could this be true? Look at James 1, 2 to 4. Count it all joy. Just stop right there. Not just, hey, be sort of happy. Be kind of a little bit encouraged. We don't expect too much from you. You know, we know it's hard. What what does that say? And listen, I know a lot of times we don't default immediately to this. We have to learn to, you know, practice this. But he's going to give us the reason why we should. Count it all joy, my brothers, when life goes smooth and easy and you never have any trouble. Well, you should, in, in God's providence, if you're in that season, you should enjoy it. If you don't have any trouble, you might be just kind of overlooking some stuff. But Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, if what follows this wasn't there, that would seem kind of torqued, wouldn't it? Man, I enjoy me some trouble. And I used to be that way as a teenager. I'm going to go find me some trouble. Um, don't follow my path in that, by the way, teenagers. It pays nothing good. But there's a four here. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, for you know. So this is something we should know. Number one, that trials test our faith. And we need tests of faith. We should be testing ourselves. The scripture says examine yourself to, be if you, to see if you be in the faith. And these trials come into our life as as sort of refining fire. Refining the gold of God's grace that He has placed in us if it's there, right? If we have true faith. You know that the testing of your faith is productive. Okay, so now I can start to see why I might want to count it all joy because I know I'm a child of God and He's promised me trouble. He's promised me He's overcome the trouble. He's going to make it work for me. So that while I might not have chosen to go through this thing, I know He's going through it with me, and He's going to do good things in my life through it. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know, I just say, do you know that? You need, maybe need to be reminded. That the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And watch this. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Be patient in it. Wait well in it. Look to God in it. Trust God with it. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, this doesn't mean that you don't pray for deliverance for hard things, but when you do pray for deliverance from them, you entrust it to God. Like Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. And sometimes he will deliver us out of it. Sometimes he will deliver us through it and grow us. But as He tests our faith, He is producing things in us. He's producing Christ-likeness in us. And He says, be patient in it. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So I can rejoice 
in my suffering. And Paul says that. Remember, we saw that in, in Romans chapter 5. We rejoice in our sufferings. The same kind of message because we know that God's at work in us making us more like Christ. It's not that we just enjoy suffering, but we know that God is sovereign, that God's in control, that no trial comes into my life that doesn't come through His fatherly care and fatherly hands, and that He promises to make it work for me. And I know that trials, struggle, hardship, a testimony of that this morning, trials refine the goal of God's grace that He's worked in us. Trials make us stronger. We grow more through times of trial than we do through times of ease. Because if we have true faith, that trial pushes us into God. On our face before the throne of grace. So suffering accompanies us here in this world, but it serves us if we're a child. Now listen, I'm saying this because this is true of Christians. If you're not a Christian, this is as good as it'll ever be. It'll never be better than this. Joel Osteen's right. If you're not a Christian, this is your best life now. But if you're a believer, uh, 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 that's coming. That's coming. We'll see that when we talk about glory in a minute. Suffering accompanies us here, but it has to serve us. It refines us. It shows us. How does it serve us? Well, it refines us. It makes us more like Christ. It reminds us that this is not our home. It makes us yearn for Christ's return. And it points us to our future glory. When I'm suffering, I, I should immediately look to the Christ who suffered for me. And entrust it to Him. Pray for deliverance, but entrust it to God's will. But know that this thing He's taking me through, He will cause it to work for me to make me more like Jesus. So one reason that we can be encouraged in the midst of the sufferings of this present time is that we know that in this world, presently, our suffering is productive. Because God promises to use it as an instrument to make me more like Jesus. It's like, you know, Michelangelo carving David. What he did was got a big, big rock or a big piece of marble and just took away everything that didn't look like David. So God, the master sculptor, through, with these trials being chisels in his hand, is chiseling away everything that doesn't look like Jesus in our lives. Our trials refine us. They show us that this is not our home. They make us yearn for Christ's return. And they point us, second point, to our future glory. Now I've already said this verse doesn't minimize your suffering. It doesn't do that. It doesn't make light of your suffering. It just, when it compares it to the glory to come, that's when it fades. The glory is so much greater. Douglas Moo said this, We must weigh suffering in the balance with the glory that is the final state of every believer. And so weighty, so transcendently wonderful is this glory that suffering flies in the air as if it had no weight at all. That, that might sound like strange language to you, but do you know what a, the old style scales look like? Do you have a picture? Did you get that picture? There you go. So now we just we have a digital scale. We put something on it and it tells us how much it weighs, right? 
But before all this convenience, you had a scale, and in the marketplace they would weigh, like you put a pound over here and then put what you're selling over here until it reaches a pound and the scale levels out. So once that, you had a pound over here, once you got that scale to level out, you knew you had a pound over here, right? So when we take our suffering and we put it on the scale, the scale drops to the, to the ground. It's, it, boom, it's weighty. It's hard. It's struggle. It's hardship. When we then take the glory to be revealed to us in Christ and put it over here, boom, it just throws the suffering into the air. Not because the suffering is made little of, but because glory is made much of. So while we suffer here, present tense suffering, it's going to work for us here. But in glory, it will be gone. And when we look back on it, from that perspective, we'll go, whew, that was a small price for me to pay in comparison to what I've got. It was a large price Christ paid. Small price for me to pay. But when, he, when Moo is talking about you know, the, the suffering flying in the air, he's got that picture of a scale in his mind. Future glory so outweighs our present suffering that the two are not a fair comparison. You may have wondered about this verse, 2 Corinthians 4.17. This light and momentary affliction. And you might have said, Paul, what are you talking about? This is not light. This is hard. This has been my whole life. Dude, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm not sure they said dude back then, but you get the picture. No, it's light and momentary because it's compared to eternal and glory. We will spend eternity with the Lord in glory. And in comparison to that, then, our present struggling is slight and momentary. It says this light, watch how productive though. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal Weight of glory beyond all comparison. You know, I mean, we, we have glimpses of this. We don't fully understand this, but we sing it sometimes. Like we sing Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing His praise, right? Looking back on, even if it was just 10,000 years, looking from 10,000 back to what? This... 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 maybe years we live here. It's, it's small in comparison. Think about it in comparison to eternity with maximum glory. We're going to maximum glory. Complete fulfillment and satisfaction and joy in our Lord. Glory is freedom from sin and therefore freedom from misery and freedom from decay and freedom from suffering and freedom from death. It's being delivered to life and righteousness and joy and love. Unimaginable, pure love. I say that to you and you really have nothing to refer it to, right? One day you will live in glory with Christ and love Him perfectly as you are loved. As a creature can love, not you won't be God, right? You'll have a perfect joy, a perfect love, a perfect satisfaction, a perfect purpose. And 
the most exciting thing that ever happened to you in this life will seem like dung in comparison. Glory's not going to be boring. Glory's going to be infinitely, holily exciting. Because we're going to be set free from everything that pulls us down. Because of Jesus, all suffering will one, one day give way to this transcendent, I love that, transcendently wonderful glory that we can't imagine now. We only get glimpses of this glory now. We don't have a lot of detail on what that glory is going to be like, but we have enough. We have enough to give us hope especially because of the gospel. Because the Son of God took on a true human nature. Jesus, the Son of God, came and fulfilled all righteousness for us. He kept every command out of love, thought, word, and deed perfectly, spotless, pure, Lamb of God, deserved blessing and glory. And yet He took the guilt of our sin upon Him and He died taking the wrath of God due us, the condemnation due us. And because He was God and man on that cross, He could take the eternal hell that we deserve upon Himself and drink that cup dry on that cross. Can't imagine what He suffered and neither can you. He's gone to the depths of suffering that we can't even imagine for us so that we would be forgiven for our sins. So that we would be clothed in His righteousness. See, that righteousness that He had earned imputed to us. Before God, our record is righteous because we're in Christ Jesus. Forgiven for every sin, clothed in His righteousness. A child of God, empowered by the Spirit, having the Word of God. Heart set on the Son of God so that we can have hope in this life. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised the third day, proving it's all true. And He reigns to see this Gospel go to the ends of the earth. Are you trusting Him? Are you going to try to earn your own way? You're going to fall short. You haven't kept God's law and thought, word, and deed. You're not ready to stand before Him on your own two feet. If you do that, it will fail. You will hear, depart from me. I never knew you. See, either Christ took our condemnation or we will take it because God is holy and just and pure and He cannot look on sin approvingly. He must judge it. But if you're in Christ, your sin has been judged because Jesus took the judgment. He took the condemnation. Jesus took all of our hell so that we can have all of His glory. We saw it in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Flip it. Remember we flipped it when we talked about that. If you're not in Christ Jesus, there is condemnation which you deserve. You need a Savior and it's not you. Some of you need to listen to me this morning. God's not going... That scale I put up there, one side's not going to go on it, your, your good works and the other side your bad works to see if they balance out. Because as far as making yourself right with God, the only thing that will go on there is bad works. Isaiah said all of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. If we don't keep His law perfectly, we don't keep it. 
None of us have kept it. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve condemnation, but righteous, righteousness and salvation is a free gift in Christ Jesus. Are you trusting in Him? If so, He took all your condemnation. and You get all His glory. Trust and rest in Jesus this morning. And live with confidence that although we just have a glimpse of the glory to come, mostly in the life of our loving Savior who came to save us, and then in God's promises of one day perfect forgiveness, joy, all of that, apply that. The glory that is ours in Christ and will be revealed to us. The glory that is ours in Christ, victory over death, just takes us into His presence. We wait for the redemption of our bodies. We will be with Him in the new heavens and the new earth forever. That glory that is promised and will be revealed, let that be the context in which you see the present sufferings. And for the Christian, knowing that all of the present sufferings must work for you. They will. They do. I want to give you just a personal illustration. There are a lot of Christians who've suffered greatly and yet been very productive for Christ in this life. But I'll just put Johnny Erickson Tata before you this morning. Imagine being 17 years old full of life and vigor and all these hopes and dreams until that one day when you dive in the water and you hit bottom and your spinal cord is severed and you're paralyzed from the neck down. She's been paralyzed for over 50 years now. And yet she's filled with joy. And she's more productive than most of us, maybe a lot of us put together. Maybe all of us put together in the kingdom. How does she do that? Here's what she says. She says at first, bitter, at first she was bitter, hopeless, and wanted to die. She tried to get her friends to help her die. But later she embraced God's purpose in her accident. And she saw that God's purpose was to turn a stubborn kid into a woman who would reflect patience endurance, and a lively, optimistic hope in the heavenly glories above. You see what she did? She got a glimpse of this glory. She put her suffering in the context of that glory and in the context of her God who was in control, working in her for her good and His glory and would use this for His kingdom. She got a better perspective. She looked above the sun. You remember? Go back and listen to our series on Ecclesiastes. God didn't heal her. She prayed and prayed. Now, sometimes He does heal people, and it's okay to pray for healing. Right? We want to be submitted to His will. But He didn't heal her. But Joni, she looked to the Lord, and she asked Him to use her life to help others and to honor Him. And though her body has been paralyzed for over 50 years, her spirit has been free. She paints... Wonderful paintings holding a toothbrush in her mouth. A toothbrush. I told you I'm having a hard time talking. A paintbrush in her mouth. Go look at some of the stuff she's painted just by moving her head. Wonderful paintings. She's written over 50 books. 
She's the founder and CEO of Joni and Friends, which is an, interna- an international disability center, a gospel-centered international advocate for people with disabilities. She's connecting with other people suffering and bringing Christ into the picture. No telling how many people she's been the tool in God's hand, the instrument in His hand, leading them to Christ. I believe she has been turned into a woman reflecting patience, endurance, and lively optimistic hope. Why? Because of the heavenly glories to come. Though she has suffered much, she has lived a very productive life for the Lord because she trusts Him and His plan for her life and she looks to the future glory that will so outweigh our suffering on the scale that our suffering will fly into the air and be gone. I consider that the sufferings of this time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us in Christ. So if you are to consider that like Paul has considered that, we need to be knowing something about this glory, don't we? We need to be thinking about this glory. We need to be owning as true what God has told us about our future so that, so that it will shape a hopeful present and a useful present. So here's, here's a, just a few suggestions as we get close to closing. I won't lie to you. but uh, Number one, think much about future glory. Think much about future glory. How much, there's a saying where people say things like, well, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. Well, if he's no earthly good, he's not heavenly minded in the right way, right? Because we are to be heavenly minded and live out of that perspective. Look what Paul says in, in Colossians 3, 1-4. If you then have, have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, at the right, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now look, this is going to be familiar language out of Romans. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. But notice where it says to set our minds. Notice, that's where I get that. You are commanded to be heavenly minded. You are commanded to set... What does it mean to set your mind on something? You remember what we said when we looked at Romans 5, uh, 8, 5 to 7? We said, to set my mind on something means to make it the object of my attention, my desire, and my pursuit. If I'm setting my mind on something, I'm focused on it. I'm pursuing it. I'm giving it my attention. So if my mind is set on glory and on Christ and through Christ, the glory that He's purchased for us, I will view my suffering in light of the coming glory and my main focus will be on pleasing God in my present suffering as I wait confident for that glory. So be heavenly minded. Set your hearts, set your minds above the sun on Christ 
on his victory, on his fact he's on the throne and he's reigning for his church. And he promises to take us all the way home to glory through redemption of our bodies, new heavens, new earth. Not that you might be lazy here, but that you might be productive and gospel productive here. Because only by setting my mind on the coming glory can I find purpose in my present suffering and accept it, right? And live in it and through it in a way that glorifies God. So the first, the first encouragement is to think much about future glory. To read maybe some more books about future glory. We, we're going to do a few things this morning. Secondly, entrust your suffering to God. Uh, This doesn't mean don't pray to be healed from it or delivered from it. But even when you pray to be delivered from it, entrust it to God. Not my will, but yours be done. And if he doesn't take it away, trust it. Then at least for this season, it's, it's it's an intentional gift from his hand, not to harm me, but to grow me in grace. So focus on glorifying God in the midst of your suffering. I mean, Christ's example right before the cross. Take this cup from me. But if not, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your name be honored. So pray about your suffering. Trust it to His plan. Look for others that are suffering the same thing. Maybe Christians to encourage or Christians who've gone through it who can encourage you or unbelievers who need the gospel. I mean, encouraged by what Joni did with her suffering and and founding that institution. Entrust your suffering to God. He is on the throne. He is in control. In this world, you will have trouble. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that God is at work in you to make you more like Christ. And that's my third point. Have joy now. True faith leads to joy in the trial. Hear me. True faith leads to joy in the trial. We have to learn to be content and learn to entrust it to God and learn all that. But true faith will manifest joy in the trial, faith in the trial. See, we don't wait. I'll be happy when. No, we look to Christ. I'm happy now. I'm joyful now. I see this as a gift to my Father. He's doing good things in me through it. I'm going to count it all joy. I'm going to look crazy to those around me who don't know Jesus by having a hallelujah fit and then telling them how they can have one. It's like Jesus saying, when you're persecuted, leap for joy. The evidence of your reward. The best blessing for you is not necessarily being delivered from this trial, whatever it is. It might be letting this trial be that chisel that chisels away something in you that doesn't look like Christ. And this trial might last your whole life long. I know some of y'all are dealing with stuff like that. Look to the glory. Look to your God. Trust Him. He is good and this will be used for good. True faith leads to joy in the trial. Apply Romans 8, 28, and we'll get there, right? God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So everything He brings into my life, He will use it for good. In other words, it it can hurt me, but it can't harm me because my God is in control. Every trial you go through as a Christian 
is a chisel chipping away something that doesn't look like Christ because your God is on the throne and promises to you that all present suffering is productive and that the suffering that we do endure presently, even if it's big as we see suffering in this life, it won't hardly show up on the scale in the comparison to the glory to come. I've told you all this before. I've got it in your bulletin. Um, It'll be on the slide. If you've not read Heidelberg question one, well, you're about to. The reason I say that is I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to read it. You are. And then go back and ponder these things, and I'm going to point out some things, maybe at least one as we go through. But I'm going to ask you the question, and then you read the answer. Heidelberg question number one. What is your only comfort in life and death? There's you some fuel for meditation. And go back and look at the references. You can look it up and, and get the references as well. But if you noticed about three quarters of the way through, all things must work together for my salvation. Now remember I've taught you that when you see the word salvation, think bigger than justification. Justification, sanctification, glorification. The work God has started, He will finish. And in our sanctification especially, these trials that come into our lives will work to make us more like Jesus. But Jesus has fully paid for all my sins. He set me free. The devil's not reigning over me. There's not a demon for every struggle we go through, by the way. The way we get free is not to go around casting out demons of adultery and all that kind of stuff. It's to look to God, to pray, be delivered. He delivers His children through the means of grace. So anyway, why did I go there? Somebody need to hear that. Um, He preserves us in such a way that not a hair can fall from our head. I know that's less attention than some than others, but but what does it mean? It means he's not primarily concerned with your hair. He's in control of every detail. He's in control of every detail so that all things must work for you. So my last point is wait well. Focus, ponder eternity, ponder glory, entrust your suffering to God. Have joy now. Rejoice and wait well. Someday soon, someday soon, all the suffering will be over. Remember Paul said, light momentary. We're comparing with eternity. Young people, you'll be my age before you know it and older. It goes quick. Right? But someday soon, all suffering will be over and there will only be glory left. Have that in mind. As you walk here. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now and what will be has not yet appeared. 
But we know that when He appears, see where the focus is on Christ? When He appears, we shall be like Him because we will see Him as He is. And everyone who has, everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Hope in Jesus. Hope in the glory to come. Purify yourself here. Be set free from everything that would tend to squelch your joy. Look to your God and trust Him and rest in Him and believe Him that the glory to come will dwarf our sufferings so that in comparison, what we endure is light and momentary affliction. I'll read to you a, a, some of the lyrics of a song that, um, that Joni quoted. And I don't know if she wrote it or if this is just one that meant a lot to her. But I, I'll, read a, I'll read a couple of these lyrics and I'm done. I rejoice with him whose pain my Savior heals. And I weep with him who still his anguish feels. But earthly joys and earthly tears are confined to earthly years. <laughs> And greater good, the Word of God reveals. In this life, we have a cross that we must bear. It's just a tiny part of Jesus' death that we can share. And one day we'll lay it down because He's promised us a crown to which our suffering can never be compared. That's why heaven is nearer to me And at times, it's all I can see. Sweet music I hear coming down to my ear, and I know that it's playing for me. For I am Christ the Savior's own bride, and redeemed I shall stand by His side. Focus on the glory to come, and use your present suffering for the glory of God. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we as your children would never take off our gospel glasses, that we would see everything in this life through those lenses of your cross, of your suffering, of your resurrection, of your promises of glory because of your suffering. That we would know where we live in a fallen world of suffering, but that we'd also know that we are children of the King. And that this suffering, as hard as it is, will be light and momentary, will be unworthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So give us a gospel patience for our best life. To wait for it in hope and know that with you, in glory, forever, is more wonderful, more transcendently glorious than we can even begin to imagine. But your love for us and your sacrifice for us gives us the glimpse that we need to know that we can trust you, we can believe you. We can indeed count it all joy when we suffer in this life because we know you're with us and you're for us and you're making it work in us to make us more like you. So give us this this biblical, heavenly perspective so that we can then live this life for your glory and be used of you 
so that we can grow in grace, so that we can boast in our Lord and give a glorious, joyful message to those who don't know Him about your being gracious and merciful and long-suffering and forgiving. That the wages of sin indeed are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Strengthen those who believe this morning. Give us a more enduring, heavenly focus, glory focus, and a more devoted pressing into your glory here. And Lord, for those who don't know you, we pray that you would bring conviction of sin, that you would bring repentance and faith, that they might trust you. We know all is according to your will. So we, we just look to you and give you praise and thank you that glory is ours in Christ and it will be revealed in us and to us in that day. Just as sure as your, your resurrection was, ours will be. So that we can truly walk now in the confidence of your word. That to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because our death as your children is just entering into that which is truly life. So we praise you and thank you this morning. And thank you that it is all a gracious gift, not based on what we do, but what you have done for us. We give you the praise and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me. We're going to sing one more. Uh, Number 405, Not in Me.